This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we're going underground with Joseph Salazar. Joseph Salazar, director, owner of Geoscan Surface Surveys. I can't remember how I screwed that up in the interview or uh, he misheard me, but stay what, tuned the for the name? That. The name. Right? Really? There was something Interesting name. He's got a, a, it's a name, it's a Mexican name, but he's from the UK. He's from the UK, came here for one ski season. Now he owns a company, folks. So so stay tuned for that that story. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good one. But we're also talking oil tanks, oil tank scans and different types, the risks, the risks to buyers, sellers, homeowners. There's a, there's a lot to unpack here. This is kind of a back to basics. This feels like the old school. This feels like 2016. Vancouver but like that, that kind of information that you get the question all the time and people don't know why they should be concerned about oil tanks, right? Exactly. And exactly. it's a it's this is like the full comprehensive like uh, you know, this is the university level course on oil tanks in, in Greater Vancouver. And we thank uh Mr. Salazar for his time. That's we for do. Sure. We do, yeah. And and Matt, before we get to that though. Okay. Before we get to that. We have a new segment. Uh, it, well, we're sponsored. We're sponsored. We have two sponsors. We now. now have two sponsors. We're sponsored by Oakland Realty. Yes. And they are providing a tip. Every week, they are going to provide our listeners with a real estate tip. 
Yeah. So, and this is our our brokerage, and we're we're fairly new to Oakland, and so we're, we sent. We're very excited we, to be there. Yeah, we're very excited to be there. But we sent Secret away to create a jingle, and he said, "Well, what are kind of the, some of the characteristics?" We were of like, Oakland? "Let's just spitball ideas. Yeah. What does Oakland mean to you?" Yeah. And modern. I, uh, mo- I said modern, and cutting I, edge. I, I was like cosmopolitan, young, fresh, yeah. new approach. And so he went away and he created this jingle. This Do you have it? First, Can you bring it up? Yeah, this was his first jingle attempt. Uh, for, I don't know for if, the new segment. I don't know if we're going to Oakland go, tips. I don't know if we're going to use this, but let's. Here it is. There's nothing modern about that. There's, no, there's nothing cutting feel like, edge about that. Like you should be on Madison Avenue, Madman style. There, <laughs> talk about a, talk about a misread. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. God. Well, anyways, we're gonna have Secret is gonna produce something every week, and no for the pressure. Oakland tip. No pressure. We're just gonna until have a, we settle on one. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, but uh, <laughs> but let's get to the tip. So we got the Oakland tip this week, and it, uh, interestingly enough, it's live. Where you love, heard and, it in the jingle, <laughs> and and the re and what they really mean by this is when you're buying real estate, whether it's in Vancouver or anywhere else, everybody wants the best deal, but often often you leave something behind when you get the best deal, uh, when it's something that you're looking for for yourself. So, for instance, you get a great price, but you m- might not be in that location you really wanted. So, the Oakland tip this week is buy something you love. Right. Right. So, you know, we always talk about, you know, leaving a trail of revenue properties, like making sure that you're allowed to rent the place or making sure that it's a good investment or the area is up and coming. And meanwhile, really, at the end of the day, you don't want to spend your time living in an area that's transforming. Spend the 10 years of your life, you know, spending, you know, time in an area you don't want to be in. That's right. So I I think the idea here is highlight how you live your life, how you want to live your life and buy the property that's going to suit that for you. And chances are, if you like it, and this is kind of a rule number one, if you love the place, somebody else is going to love the place. When yeah. you go to sell it, you're going to do fine. So live where you love. Yeah, that's, the that's totally tip. true, unless you've got really bad taste, um, which only you can answer. <laughs> um, what else we, we, we got? Also, we're also sponsored by the Bento Box. This we is are. Ramey Films. Ramey here at Live at the Bento Box. He's producing top-notch quality shows sure like what is the one we've been watching uh vancouver real estate live oh no yeah, yeah that's our but, show uh, that- but no 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 he's got other shows like best thing ever best thing ever right yeah. last week they did pad ties yeah it was a good one it was a very good one the answer might surprise you i for so and what they're doing is they're taking food from different restaurants or even from grocery stores anything they're trying it and they're ranking vancouver's best Pad Thai. I think they did one on. Uh, I think they've done donuts pumpkin, before for pumpkin sure. Pumpkin pie. Uh, p- potentially a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah, potentially. I think there. Anyway, it's Vancouver specific. It's super. The the hosts are very funny. It's, very. Funny. It's a great. It's a great show, and you'll learn something about Vancouver. So check them out at Live at the Bento Box. It's on Facebook and it's on YouTube as right. well. What else? We got Larry Beasley's book. Yeah, one last thing before we cut to our interview with Joseph. We've got a copy of Larry Beasley's Vancouverism to give away. It is a signed copy. It is a signed It's got a personal message, and we will be drawing at the end of the show. But without further ado, Matt, why don't we cut to our interview with Joseph Salazar? This is the owner of Geoscan Surface Surveys. You're not going to be disappointed with this one. Enjoy. 
Okay, so we're here with Joseph Salazar. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. And we should say you're from Geoscan Subsurface Surveys. Subsurface Surveys, but close enough. Yes. yes. Yeah. Geoscan. Yeah. What did you oh, say? Some I thought it was something. Was, it was close. It was close. <laughs> I think he was insinuating it was a subpar service. <laughs> subpar <laughs> service. Subservice. <laughs> Subservice. Yeah, no. Some sort of alliteration. You misunderstood my accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Joseph, can you start maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So, myself moved. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not from around here. I uh, moved to Canada about nine years ago to do, do a ski season in Whistler. And that was my only last one year. And here I am still. And moved down to Vancouver and worked in the construction industry. Um, and then had the for- good fortune to join Geoscan six years ago. And here I am. How, just out of curiosity, how do Australians react to people from other places in the world spending their time in Whistler? Not favorably. Not favorably. They're like, they're like locals only, bro. <laughs> no, we all had a good time. I live with a couple of Swedes up there. There's a good uh, eclectic mix of people up in nice. Whistler. It's right not, on. not just Australians. but right. uh, I did get asked if I was Kiwi a lot. Yeah. And we were kind of talking before well, the show, but Salazar is a uh, is, is not your typical UK name. No, you're quite right. Quite a convoluted uh, background. I was born in Vancouver, actually, uh, to a Mexican father and an English mother, and then moved back to England at an early age, and I was raised there, and then always had the Canadian passport and uh, decided to come for a ski season, and here I am. And I'm actually going to go out to see my Mexican family uh, this weekend. So. Wow. And are you going to Mexico to see them? Yes, got a wedding in Los Moches. And have you, have you met uh, a lot of these people? Not to, to get too deep. <laughs> we call them family, not these people. The uh, family. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, it has been a long time, though. So it's been a number of years since I've uh, seen a lot of That's them. That's exciting. So, and maybe exciting. last question, do you speak Spanish? Uh, no habla un poco español. <laughs> but you've been studying for the trip, <laughs> sounds like. I've been studying speaking English very loudly and slowly <laughs> and a lot of hand gestures, which I'm hoping is going to get me through the trip. Right. right. Um, maybe, 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 Joseph, can you tell us a little bit about Geoscan subsurface Surveys? Bingo. <laughs> there you go. What a guy. <laughs> so the company was founded 10 years ago now by Will Meredith, who's uh, still an owner. I'm a co-owner as well. And when I joined, there was about six people. So it was just Will as a one-man show in the very beginning uh, with a vision to be specialists in ground-penetrating radar. That's one of the technologies that I'm sure we'll cover in this topic today. Right. And all the commercial applications that that technology has, uh, two kind of main pillars of the business were utility locating, which is kind of imaging beneath the ground and finding pipes and things like that for damage prevention purposes. And the other would have been concrete slab scanning, which is more in the construction industry on construction sites, again, making sure people don't hit things that are embedded within concrete structures. So damage prevention as well. And the company grew steadily to, I think I joined and there's about six people uh, about six years ago. And now we're at 40 people uh, spread over two offices in Burnaby, headquarters in Burnaby. And we have a Vancouver Island division out of Victoria. 
So you're operating kind of mostly in the greater Vancouver and Victoria region? That's correct. So it's like a service-based uh, business where we have like minimum call-outs and hourly rates and we go to sites and meet with clients and perform the, uh, the service that they provide. Right, right. So a bunch of, a bunch of technicians in, in vans shooting around the lower mainland and uh, Vancouver Island servicing our clients. Right, interesting. So maybe we can kind of back up here and start by talking a little bit about like why do you need an oil tank scan? Like, can well, you talk or, about or or even even further back? Uh, <laughs> what is oil? <laughs> no, what is a tank? What is oil? No, but but so millions how, of years ago, <laughs> <laughs> ferns. Yeah. Uh, no, but in terms of the the how you described what you guys do, how does it apply to residential? real estate or residential land use? Well, fundamentally, that technology, grounds penetrating radar, is one of the ideal technologies to use to image the subsurface and therefore identify oil tanks. If you imagine on a daily basis we're going out there looking for pipes that are something like four inch in diameter, well, suddenly you've got a tank that's now four feet in diameter. Uh, very easy to pick out using GPR, and that's what makes itself or what lends itself to this service so well right and so when were houses in bc on oil so traditionally from the 1920s uh was when oil furnace oil started to replace your conventional fireplace and all the way through to the 1970s which was when gas came in to replace the oil and so basically between those two dates, roughly, and then, yeah, and then gas took it over uh, come the 70s. And, and so, so there's kind of a 50-year period there yeah. in which furnaces ran on oil. Yes. And generally, those oil tanks had to be refilled periodically. I'm just thinking for listeners who have no idea about Concept what, of what's going right. on. Right. Yeah. So there's a tank in the yard of, of someone's house. Yeah. That would be refilled with oil periodically to heat the house. Why why is this a problem now? Good question. So it was deemed unsightly to have a oil tank above ground. Like they do in a lot of small towns. Correct. Now you still get them, but a lot of oil tanks were then buried underneath the ground to hide them away. Right. Um, also, your furnace is generally in your basement, which is sort of below ground, so it puts it on a level. And then as gas came into play, these tanks were somewhat decommissioned, but there was no rules or regulations about taking them out or dealing with them. And so they were literally just left in the ground. They would have had their supply lines cut off or, you know, whatever, maybe sand poured into them or, you know, various other things. There was guidelines issued by municipalities at the time when they were replacing the tanks with gas. But they were generally just left in the ground. And that was considered fine in the 70s. And then now, or in the last 10 years or so, where this oil tank removal industry has become predominant, it's now determined that it's an environmental concern. And the reason for that is water over time, as these tanks that are made of metal rust and corrode and create holes, water gets in, oil floats above water, so that water pushes them up and the oil then kind of spills out through these corroded holes in these buried tanks. And then that oil can generally just seep through the soil 
and cause contamination uh, of the soil surrounding it. And, and so probably probably a lot of people out there are, are thinking, well, that's not that big of a deal. But when you think about it and you think about contamination in the soil and the potential of it actually going all over the lot. Yes. And then also potentially into your neighbor's lots. Yes. That's where it becomes very, very That's where it comes a very big right? deal. Yeah. And the letter of the law is that the liability lies with the owner. And that's why it's a big deal when you're buying or selling properties because you're transferring that liability, if you will. So if you're a buyer, you want to ensure that you're not buying a problem. And if you're a seller, it's, it's a more attractive package to be able to show people that you haven't got this sort of potential problem. Right. And just just thinking about the, I mean, obviously just oil contamination is a, a problem, but yeah. is there are there health risks? What is the... What is the end result of kind of uh, contamination on kind of a, a fairly large scale? Do you guys go go that far? Because I've never actually thought about that. In terms of <laughs> growing, growing no, broccoli. You, and, yeah. yeah it, you, I don't know the answer to that in yeah. terms of a personal health risk. But uh, in terms of the environment, it's, it's a big deal. And right. there's an Environmental Standards Act out there that will tell you all sorts. And uh, something that we advise clients, such as in a situation where we find a tank, it's not just a simple case of, get a tank removal company to come and remove it you also want to get a independent professional environmental consultant to do the testing of your soil to see whether it's contaminated or not and obviously they're regulated and ethical and they're gonna basically tell the truth Mm -hmm. so so as far as uh tanks in the lower mainland for for potential home buyers out there right now uh how how do you mitigate the risk so for home buyers you want to call geoscan (laughs) (laughs) um basically take a survey survey of the property i mean initially for free you can call the municipality you can call the fire department department, you can see if they've got any records uh if a tank was taken out recently they should have uh, got a permit for that and therefore there'll be some sort of record so there's no harm in checking first and, and seeing what's uh, what's out there what's already been done if there isn't any records and remember it wasn't law back in the 70s when these things were being decommissioned to record so there's no way of accurately telling which properties have oil tanks or not you then want to conduct a survey now tank removal companies that make their money by removing tanks Uh, They will conduct surveys, often for free or for a small amount, but that will generally just entail using a metal detector, something that you guys could go and get from Home Depot for a few hundred dollars or whatever it may be. And that's just one sort of technology used to find uh, oil tanks, whereas Geoscan would employ three different types. Can we can we talk a little bit about the technology? Because I, I think that's yep. the thing, right? Is you think about the metal detectors, there's a lot of limits on where you can scan, right? Correct, yeah. Because the one thing that I think we should highlight is is the fact that what was the structure that was on the lot, you know, maybe in the 1930s, 1940s, potentially has changed over time, right? Absolutely. It's been rebuilt or it's, there's been an addition, there's been a, a parking pad um, uh, put in the backyard. There's a deck now over top of uh, where potentially there would have been a tank at one time. So so how do you guys get past that, those re- restrictions or limitations? Yeah, great question. So 
of course, the industry has been going 10 years or so now. So in theory, all the easy ones, if you will, have been found. And don't get me wrong, if there's a tank buried in the middle of an open field with nothing around it, a metal detector should, in theory, find it, right? right because right. then it's the only metal in the area. So the metal detector is going to go off when it's over that tank. But now let's envision a situation where that tank's, you know, had a carport build on, built on top of it with concrete. And within that concrete is a steel rebar or mesh yeah, yeah. or there's fencing nearby. There's a wooden deck there. All, the, all things with metal in them, nails in the deck, for example, fence, metal that's going to detract from that signal and, and sort of confuse the metal detector and basically becomes more of a convoluted survey, if you will. So we still use metal detectors. They are handy. Uh, they're good to determine whether an anomaly found under the ground is metallic or not. Um, but the best technology, ground-penetrating radar, can be, is a geophysical technique that uses uh, radar impulses that go into the ground and basically when there's a change in density or material type within the substructure, it will cause a reflection and that produces data that the technician can interpret on site live. So it effectively works like an ultrasound of the ground and it's not affected by those sort of concrete pads with the metal inside it. They can see through that and uh, identify a tank buried beneath. So they'll be able to actually visually see on site Yes, some outlines of of solid materials below the ground, basically. So you'll be able to see the difference between the soil and then the metal. The so, soil and the metal, and okay. then it'll pick up a plan view of that, uh, like the outline shape of that tank um, and the depth that that tank's buried at. So, so with the with the guys who come out with the metal detectors, there's uh, you know. Uh, something that goes with the report that basically says right we have it's not my fault yeah (laughs) we kind of think this is the way it is we're definitely not sure uh you can't come after us for any liability or anything else in terms of what you guys do with the technology you use is it is it somewhat more certain in terms of okay there's no tank on this lot it is the most conclusive method out there however nothing is guaranteed right and that is the case amongst all technologies they have limitations they have capabilities uh there's also things like access issues such as if a car is parked in the way you can't be able to scan that area because you need to be able to drag the antenna of the gpr unit over the ground and it's got to be flush with the surface um so you just imagine if a tanks buried perfectly underneath the car you're not going to be able to see it right so if someone's guaranteeing that their results they're lying you literally cannot guarantee it the bet the only way to guarantee things is by digging everything up right but using geoscan and using ground penetrating radar is the most conclusive way of determining whether there's a tank on the property or not now the the thing that strikes me is we've got these years of 1920s to the 1970s. If you're outside of these windows, should you still be scanned? Yes. What you want to do is look back at the history of the property. Um, I mean, just because the building that that, that's there now was built 10 years ago, doesn't mean there wasn't an older building on that site 
more than 10 years ago. And of course, there could have been an oil tank associated with the heating of that building. And when they now built the new building, doesn't necessarily mean that they removed that tank or it could right. still be there on the property. And there's been some instances where we've found two buried oil tanks that must have been part of two different systems to heat two different buildings, yeah. but both tanks buried on the same property. That actually happens more than people think, right? I think you so, find, yeah. You find two tanks on the property. And I think a lot of people think that if they've ex- excavated the lot for a new build, they would have found a tank, but not necessarily, right? Depending on where the house was built exactly. on the lot. Exactly, yeah. So if they've dug the foundation down and, and there's a tank there, then obviously they would have removed it. But if they just happen to not build the foundations in that specific location, right. they may not have come across a, a buried tank for sure. So it's a, it's what has been built on that on that potentially new house is lot in the past is is the kind of key to to consider for sure. Yeah. So there's potentially some homeowners out there right now that you know uh, maybe didn't get a scan, maybe didn't know to get a scan, maybe got the the metal detector scan. We've talked about what home buyers should do. Should homeowners just put their head in the sand? Like this is yeah. a this is a scary a scary thing. What what would you suggest? For sure, I'd suggest getting a survey done of your property to know the facts. Like we are a private survey company working on behalf of the paying client, so we don't report our findings to anybody else other than the clients. Uh, we'll come and provide a unbiased survey flat fee and give that report to the homeowner and then they can come up with a strategy as to what they want to do with uh, with what they find there and, and should be like thinking about costs yeah. like maybe what's generally what's to be expected with costs and then also not to scare anybody but what are what are some are they, do you have any horror stories of where costs <laughs> have actually really escalated yeah so i mean back to our service it's for vancouver's a flat fee of 400 dollars plus tax um i mean if you're going to go out to uh, langley or somewhere you're looking at 450 i don't know if you've noticed the price of for gas. the scan <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but the further yeah for the scan that's the sort of price you're looking at uh, flat fee unbiased survey of the property to determine whether there's a tank there or not now if there is a tank and it's what I would call conveniently located, accessible and a pretty straightforward removal process for a tank removal company, then you're probably looking at three to five grand or something in that ballpark. Um, It's not my line of business, so don't quote me on that. And and you guys don't do that? You You find the tank, but that's... We either find or we don't, and we just report our findings in a professional written report, Mm -hmm. and we give that report to the client. So that report, if there is a tank, that can be used and, and passed on to a reputable, hopefully, tank removal company to, to get a quote from, or you can get various quotes from different companies. And that's a kind of lump sum price to remove the tank. The real variable price comes into the remediation of the soil, and that's done on a per litre basis. So X dollars per litre of soil that's contaminated because of the oil, as I explained earlier, where it needs to be removed and then replaced with with clean clean soil. Right. So that, that that's can where expand. it can. And yeah. we've I, we were talking before we went on air about there was like a, a West Van house that that ended up being like almost like a quarter million bucks. Gra- gravity's something. not your 
your friend on the slopes no and exactly it depends on the soil makeup of the ground and i know the example you're talking about yeah. there it looks like they had an olympic sized swimming pool built in the back garden but it actually wasn't it was uh, removing soil for contaminated remediation soil. purposes yeah. and if neighbors get involved and i'm just thinking like if if the contamination goes across your neighbor's lot yeah. and then somewhere under a structure yeah like I mean, you can you just need imagine to shore how that it, structure, shoring it can materials. Es- it can escalate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and so you can imagine how costs can can creep up very for quickly. sure. And there's been examples. I mean, you can Google it, but there's been examples in uh, Nanaimo recently where and um, Sanich, I believe, uh, a couple of years ago, where previous homeowners were contacted i think once the once it gets to the courts it can kind of end up going any which way and quite often now they're going back to previous homeowners who may have even sold the property 10 20 years ago reaching out to them to then say hey you owe a percentage of this remediation cost so if it's 100 grand and they split it between three people everybody owes 33,000 uh, each and you might have think you might have thought the house was long gone in a distant memory and then someone knocks at your door, which is quite a scary concept, really. Right, right. And and so a couple of things I want to cover. So one is, are there any tips for homeowners, like what to look for on site? Like Absolutely, if you see a yeah. valve or something yeah. inside of the house? So there's three sort of attributes that you can identify that would uh, insinuate the existence of a uh, oil tank uh, heating system on the property uh, one would be the fill pipe the fill cap uh, so literally a pipe sticking out of the ground right again this is kind of a bit of a bullseye if you will so a lot of these easy and obvious ones have been dealt with by now as the tank removal industry has been going about 10 years so literally a pipe sticking out of the ground that would have been used to fill the to the tanker would have rolled up on the back of a truck lorry and then hose connected to the fill pipe and the oil would be pumped in via that and then the other two are one's a vent pipe so as the oil's filled up the air has somewhere to escape and usually a vent pipe will be a two inch pipe that will run up the side of a building and then just stop so if it doesn't go into the building, you know you know it's not being used as part of a drainage system so for the building. So it's coming out of the ground and then stops halfway up the building. So Somewhere, it would be different, yeah. like gas would go away from a building and come out of a building. So this is actually coming out of the ground. Yes, comes okay. out of the ground and then kind of just stops above head height somewhere and it just right. allows the air just the to fumes escape. To, the fumes, right. yeah, you get it. And then the third indicator would be in the basement or the furnace room where you can often see two small copper pipes. They would be the supply lines that would have gone to the furnace that would have supplied the oil to the furnace. And if the tank's been decommissioned, it would usually be they'd be cut off or crimped at the ends. Yep. Um, sometimes they're removed. And an indicator of them being removed previously is if the concrete's been patched over, you can sort of see the outline of a new patch of concrete that would have been, uh, as the lines were pulled up, the concrete would have been patched over. So that's an indicator as to a, a previously existing system. Wow. Do you see this ever going away? 
Like how, what's in terms of timelines? And are you, yeah, are you guys scanning your way out of a business? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great question. Different framing, but (laughs) equally compelling. Yeah, there's a couple of answers there. I mean, yes, as time goes on, more and more tanks will be found and there's obviously only a certain amount out there. So you are depleting that stock that's existing. But just because the odds reduce doesn't mean that there isn't still a chance of having an oil tank on your property. So in our sense of surveying, no, because people should still, and it is due diligence and best practice to confirm whether you've got a tank there or not. But if it's going from sort of a three to one ratio of finding one tank every three properties you survey to a a uh, six to one ratio or something mm-hmm. then th- again there's still that chance what's the ratio right now not in, Good maybe question. an exact <laughs> but but just uh in your guys kind of day-to-day i feel like it's six to eight to one yeah something like that right now yeah i think when i first started six years ago or something it was more like a four to one sort of deal so yeah. it's definitely you're finding down. tanks you're oh finding yeah tanks. they're still there for sure yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, it's all over, all over the low mainland. Uh, there's no real sort of hot spots. We find a nice spread everywhere. Yeah. And so I, I just wanted, just for our listeners and understanding, because I, I do think like you guys are kind of the, the, would be like the gold standard. Well, of, thank you. Of, of oil <laughs> tank scans. Tell all your friends. Uh, uh, but you're also you you also pay a premium for your service. I think over over what a metal, right. a metal detector yeah. scan would cost. So, assuming a metal detector scan would be in the area of seventy five to one hundred and twenty five dollars, maybe that window would be fair, depending on where it's located. You guys, your price points are around four hundred to four fifty. That's right. So that's that's the offset for the the certainty. Yes, of, of of the three different types of or the more because that's a costly mistake if you miss it for sure. Yeah, and like you insinuated before, the fat disclaimer at the bottom of the report saying it's not our fault. Um, <laughs> well, isn't, isn't going to provide you much protection. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm, well, and but parking pads, right? Like that's the one thing you yeah, think of. Like they're a, everywhere. A, a Vancouver special. Uh, there's not grass. There's no. There, there's literally no grass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and the traditionally the rule of thumb for burying these things in the ground originally was sort of one to two meters away from the edge of the original building, and about a meter below the ground. Whereas now people have built extensions, additions, solariums, kitchens, you name it, and built out. And of course, unless you're building or digging for foundations, if you're just laying concrete on top of the mm-hmm. earth, then the oil tank is still there. And it's, right. and we've found that a lot is it's beneath existing additions that were added after the 70s or whenever. Right. Well, and it's, it's one of those things, and I think about this for myself, you know, it, it's... It, not knowing ignorance is bliss except that over time like the time is kind of of the essence here because of the corrosion just gets worse correct yeah uh with the climate we're in and the amount of water flowing through the soil yeah the potential damage gets worse and sometimes when they were decommissioned they like the oil would have been taken out fingers crossed i mean no certainty there it may not have been but had it been taken out and they advised that they put sand into the tank to soak up any right. remains and had all that been done properly then likely there's no 
uh, soil contamination associated with the tank there. So you may just get away with a straightforward lump sum removal cost. And then, but then if it hasn't been dealt with properly back then, there was a lot of oil left in there. That's when your problems occur. Like there, there were people that had like a full tank of oil left or pretty close, right? That just said, okay, we're moving the gas. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And it was just like, I mean, keep in mind, that was probably at a time. It was you know, a different was at a time, time back then. You were throwing a you bag mean, of McDonald's out of your window. It, it wasn't a dollar sixty a liter then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we have this segment called the Five Wire. I, I don't know. Are, is there anything else? I think that was a, pretty, a pretty extensive thorough, uh, uh, conversation here. <laughs> we went deep. Can, can uh, you stick around for that? What's that this segment called the Five Wire? <laughs> and Joseph, we should say you've never heard our show, so welcome. Thank uh, you. Vancouver <laughs> podcast. Uh, we do it's a segment called Five Wire. Uh, five quick questions about Vancouver. Okay, yeah, let's so do it. Question number one: What is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Mount Pleasant. Nice. Oh, I've, I feel like I've just done the dirty there because I recently moved to Commercial Drive. Oh, from uh, Main Street. I was at Main and Fifteenth. But I, I love that area, man. That was sure. really good. But I do love commercial too. You're my second favorite commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Some offense. So What's your favorite uh, favorite bar or restaurant? Charlatan on Commercial Drive. Charlatan on shout, Commercial Drive. Shout out to Jesse, the owner. Nice guy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self? Oh, my don't do that Halloween costume that you did. <laughs> oh, the photo's going to resurface? You're running for office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, In light of the recent <laughs> news. Yeah, political career is over. <laughs> um, God, I'm thinking. What, I'm what is remember. one book that you'd recommend all of our listeners uh, read? The Alchemist. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard it? I, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard of it. I've it's never the meaning it. of life, man. It's really? All, it's all there. Yeah, it's good. The uh, Alchemist. Wow. Shantaram is another one uh, based out of, he was an Australian guy in India and just uh, what he did, which was very interesting. I won't give anything away. But again, another meaning of life one. I'm going deep on these books. Yeah, no I've kidding. I've always thought of The yeah. Alchemist as like a uh, rite of passage Who? on the road type book. Who was yeah, who's the, the author? Is it a bit who's of a, the author? Don't know. You'll have no. to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Oh, I don't know. Okay. No. <laughs> That's what I think of when yeah. I think of The Alchemist, but I haven't read it. So <laughs> so, sounds better than maybe I thought. Maybe I should have sticked to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and final question, Matt. Is there something you've bought in the last year or two for under $1,000 that's changed your life? Or at least... Made it a lot better. You're going to hate me. Yeah. Blundstones. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah. I've, I've been here eight, nine years, and I denied it. I was like, no, dead against yeah. it. Not doing that. I'm too cool. I'm wearing these crappy trainers that then leak and get my feet wet. And then I got these guys, and dollar per use, my God. Every other day I'm wearing them. Really? That's actually a great answer. I've, <laughs> I've that, had a pair. Is Australian? Yeah, those are those Aussie You picked that up in Whistler. Yeah, I must have done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Going back to my roots in Whistler. Yeah. yeah. I've had a pair like for a long, long time. It's crazy that A, how like it's 
it's the only thing I've had for that long, I think, out of anything I own. They last yeah. forever. They last forever, and, and they're so comfortable. Yeah. It's crazy. He barely wears his Uggs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They've just released a men's line of Uggs, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope not. Get on that. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, well, thanks for taking the time today, Joseph. And uh, how can people find out more about, about Geoscan and what you guys are doing? Thank you. Go and check out www.geoscan.ca. There's actually a very good video it's about three minutes long on oil tanks and the problems and everything associated with them that's worth a watch probably describes it a lot better than i did today and also uh, a non-accented canadian chap did the voiceover <laughs> so for those who couldn't understand anything that was said today uh, check out the video <laughs> right on well thanks again for your time that was a great conversation joseph thank you chaps appreciate it So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Joseph Salazar, director and owner of Geoscan Surface Surveys. Really enjoyed that conversation with Joseph and uh, he interesting. An inter- he was an interesting guy and that was an interesting conversation. I it very was. much enjoyed that. I'm enjoying the back to basics. That, I like that the episode we learned how to Ollie. It was <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting where you went with that. No? No. I, I Stick was, handle? Yeah, I was thinking more uh yeah, saucer pass. Saucer pass. Oh man, we cannot cover hockey on uh on this show no. today. No. Uh, with uh, in light too of, political, uh, too yeah, political. It is. It's, it's too, highly politicized. It's the third rail of Canadian politics. It is <laughs> just like you were the third line of House League. <laughs> just kidding. That's why I didn't want to go there. <laughs> but okay, so so <laughs> thanks, Joseph. That was a great talk. I think I learned a lot. I'm glad yeah. that we had him on. What else did we got? We got Larry Beasley's Vancouverism. This is signed copy. Right. We got a couple more to give away here. Personal message. It's phenomenal this we've book's got, great we've this got 111 great. reviews right now i just checked i think 85 of the people on there have already won right your chances are phenomenal how you enter this draw you go onto the right hand side of our well first well, off google business you google page. vancouver real estate podcast yes on the right hand side there's a business page for us hit review put in a review win a book that it's, it's that easy. I'm it's that choking. easy, and you have you have a really it's good easy. you have a really good chance, right? Because I think there's like 111 reviews, and you yeah. got like a one in five one in five, five chance. One in, yeah, you're gonna win a book. Yeah, you're gonna win a book. <laughs> so maybe secret. Who's who's this week's winner? The winner this week is Taylor Atkinson. Hey, oh. congrats, Taylor! Applause, Taylor! Congratulations! Yeah. What did Taylor write? Uh, been with you guys since episode one. Great guest, unbiased content, entertaining hosts. Feels like you guys truly care about educating the general population and have our best interests at heart and communicate it. Oh, sorry. And communicate it in a humorous way. Jeez, secret. Really? <laughs> really? I, was, I was about to get teary here. And you is, yeah, you yeah. totally lost it. Yeah, come on. Okay, Finish continue. Up, continue Finish strong. Up. Really appreciate the hard work you guys put into this. It doesn't go unnoticed. Would love to hear more about commercial real estate around BC. Interesting. Okay. Well, hopefully some of our episodes with Corey Wright have uh, filled the void there for you, Taylor. He's going to be He's, he's, gonna he's be coming back. back. He's, he's always, back. Monthly. He's, yeah. He's always uh, top of mind. He's a great guest. So uh, thanks so much, Taylor. Get in touch. We'll get you that book. 
And what else do we got? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We do, Matt, with resources like PCS, because if you are not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor-level information. It's at your fingertips. It's free. It's available at our website. And you really got to be using PCS. If you're, if you're not looking. using PCS to search Vancouver Real Estate, you're doing it wrong. Sure. We also got the Live Wire. That's our weekly newsletter. We send out the stats. Stats you're not going to get anywhere else. We got the deal of the month. We got assignment deals coming up. A couple potentially coming up pretty soon here. Right. Uh, it's it, There's no reason to not be on that list. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, which is our new thing. Subscribe. Hit subscribe. Is it down here? <laughs> is it down there? Just like this. Hit subscribe. Like We have so, no idea where it is. but uh, Somewhere. Yeah. yeah, hit subscribe. Yeah, and yeah. thanks for watching. And, and ring the bell. And, and schools ring whatever that ring, ring whatever bell if you can find that bell, but it alerts you when we have new episodes. We've yeah. been told. And if you want to talk about that or anything else, real estate related or otherwise, give me a call, 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Or if you want to call me, I'm at 778-866-4574 or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. We, we also, also got that secret line. Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. The Jingo Master. The Hooked on Phonics Master. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for him. All <laughs> right. Take care, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, 
new resources, head over to oakwind.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakwind.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakwind, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakwind.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 